0: Um, good evening, everyone. My name's Lockie for those of you who don't know me, and it is my privilege tonight to be, to be bringing us uh, the message from God's Word. So, I want to ask you all a question to start off tonight. When was the last time you compromised on something? It might have been something big, it might have been something small. Maybe the conversation went something like this Hey, I'm thinking of Mexican for dinner tonight. What do you reckon? Oh, I was really hoping we could go to the pub for a chicken schnitty, but hey, I guess Mexican sounds okay too, if that's really what you want. Or maybe, Hey boyfriend, do you want to watch a movie with me this afternoon? I was thinking, Oh yeah, the new Marvel movie came out on DVD just yesterday, and I've been dying to watch it. And let's do it. Oh, not another Marvel movie, you think. (laughs) But you compromise and you say, Great, that sounds like a plan. We've gone shopping with your kids. They absolutely want this new toy. They keep asking you, but you keep saying no. But eventually, after a few tantrums, you compromise and you buy it for them, just to keep them happy. Maybe it's a bit more serious. Maybe you're at a friend's house. You've had one beer, one glass of wine, and that's enough for you. You're done. But there's a whole group of them, and they're making fun of you for only drinking one. They're pressuring you, just just one more, just one more. And it's so much harder to say no to five people than it is to say no to one. And so you compromise. Before you know it, you're passed out on the floor. Now, compromise isn't necessarily a bad thing. In fact, in the first couple of examples, it's a way to practice selflessness. It's a good thing. You're giving up your own desires, your own preferences for the benefit of other people. But as we can see, there are definitely some things that we shouldn't compromise on no matter who or what is pushing us to conform one of these things that we should not compromise on is our purpose that's what we're looking at tonight as followers of christ we should have uncompromising purpose how to be a part of this beautiful resistance against the world which is pressuring us to compromise join me as i pray Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for this opportunity tonight to go into your word. We pray that it would pierce us to the heart, that we would uh, learn from it, and that we would go away from tonight with um, uncompromising purpose, a knowledge of what that is and how we are to live. In Jesus' name, amen. So in his sermon on the Beatitudes last week, Ollie showed us how Jesus calls us to live a life with different priorities to that of the world. Instead of being consumed by seeking power, pleasure, and comfort, we should instead be pursuing the priorities of the kingdom of God. Vulnerability, spiritual hunger, and selflessness. Now, these two ways of living are incredibly different. They're incompatible, and this will lead to persecution. Sky Jathani, in his book that Ollie recommended last week, What If Jesus Was Serious? He makes the observation that persecution is the byproduct of seeking first the kingdom of God rather than the privileges of the world. So, if we're committed to living as kingdom citizens with kingdom priorities, we'll encounter persecution. Likewise, John Stott, he says that persecution is simply the clash between two irreconcilable value systems. Even Jesus, he finished his beatitudes by saying, "'Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account.'" Jesus here expects that his followers will encounter this persecution, this pressure from the world to compromise on their beliefs and their way of life and conform to what the world's idea is of what is right, what is wrong what is true, what is false, what the right priorities are, and what they're not. But Jesus doesn't just leave his disciples there. He tells them how they are to respond when they're faced with this pressure to compromise. He tells them that they are the salt of the earth, that they are the light of the world, that this is their response, this is their purpose, to be distinct for the good of the world and for the glory of God. And this is what we're going to look at tonight, what it means for us to be salt and light, distinct for the good of the world and for the glory of God. And we'll see the risks and consequences, see what they are if we compromise on this purpose. And then finally, we'll look at some practical ways that we can go about life fulfilling this uncompromising purpose that we have. So how does Jesus expect us to do it? To be distinct for the good of the world and for the glory of God? To explain this, we need to take a little bit of a closer look at the purpose of salt and light, what Jesus calls his followers, what their purposes are in the world. What's so special about these things? Interestingly enough, this is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, isn't the only first century reference to the idea of salt and light together and their being useful. Pliny, a Roman natural philosopher in the first century, wrote a big, huge volume, like an encyclopedia, called Natural History. And he says that nothing is more useful than salt and sunshine. How nice is that? (laughs) So why does he think this? Why was salt and light so useful in Jesus' day? Let's start with salt. Back before the great invention of the refrigerator, salt was used to preserve meat, to stop it going bad too quickly. So you wouldn't have to slaughter your cow and eat it in the same day. You could preserve it for a little bit longer. It prevents the growth of bacteria on the meat and slows the process of decay. Salted meat could last months before being eaten, and it would still be good, unlike meat today. I remember a couple of years ago, we had a big statewide power outage that went on for a few days. After the first couple of days, everyone was getting their meat out of their fridge and chucking it because it had gone off. It was bad, it was no longer safe to eat. It's even recommended that you don't keep meat at room temperature for more than two hours, because after that time, it starts to go off, it starts to become unsafe to eat. So this is what salt does. It slows the decay process from mere hours to a matter of months. It's a defensive quality. It retains what is good, what goodness is already there, And it keeps that for a longer period of time. That's what Jesus means when he calls us the salt of the earth. If we're doing our work as salt, we're protecting the things that are already good in the world. We're fighting against the injustice and corruption that we see around us. I wonder what some areas are in your daily lives where you can see decay and corruption creeping into the world, creeping into our culture. How can we... Fulfill our purpose as salt, and step up and stop that. Secondly, light. Light is the counterpoint to salt. Salt fights to keep the goodness in the world, while light fights to push the darkness out. It's offensive. And the purpose of light hasn't changed in the past few millennia. We use it to light our homes, to light our paths so that we can see what's going on around us, so that we're not just blindly walking around, stumbling around in the dark. What does that mean for us? The light of the world. It means that we need to push back this darkness that we see around us. In the beginning of John's Gospel, we see that Jesus is called the light, the true light. And as we look at what Jesus did in his life, And in his ministry, we can see what it means to be light in the world. It means going out into the dark places of the world, the places of hopelessness, despair, immorality, and bringing hope, bringing a message of salvation, showing people that this, this gospel, this relationship with God, this is what life is about. This is what brings hope. This is how we were made to live. And this is our job as we follow Jesus in being the light of the world. And who benefits from this? Is it us, the Christian community? When we're salt and light, do we benefit from it? Sure, in the long run. But it's not first and foremost the salt and the light that benefit from their work. It's the meat that is salted that benefits. It's the people and places that are lit up that benefit. Jesus doesn't call us to go out into the world, pushing back the decay, bringing forth our light for our own benefit. No. We're called to do it for the good of the world, for the good of those who are persecuting us, the good of those who are pressuring us to conform to their way of life. About 30 verses after this passage, Jesus tells us that we're to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute us. What better way to show our love than being salt and light in their midst? That's not the only good thing that happens when we hold uncompromisingly to our purpose. Jesus says other things will happen when we let our light shine. If you've got your Bibles, look down at verse 16. He says, in the same way, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. When we let our light shine, people see our good works. They take notice. We're like a city set on top of a hill. We can't be missed. It's just like the stars out there on a deep, dark night. Me, I've always loved going out on a really clear night and just lying there, looking up into the heavens, watching the stars. I'm sure many of you have done that too and had felt that feeling of awe when you do that, that incredible feeling. But it's a bit crazy, right? These tiny little pinpricks of light, a minuscule portion of brightness in an incredibly dark background, they draw our eye. We can't do anything but look at them. It's like when we let our light shine, even if it's a drop of light, In an ocean of darkness, we can't be missed. It's also interesting here to see that Jesus doesn't say that it will only be our light that people see. No. He says that they will see our good works. It's like Jesus is presupposing that we as Christians are doing good works, and that these good works are important. They're what lead people to glorify God. And this is a tough balance for us. We we know that our good works, they don't save us. But Jesus expects us to be doing them. We can all too easily sit back and trust our salvation through faith and neglect good works because, no, no, we don't believe in a works-based gospel. We want to stay as far away from that idea as we possibly can. But Jesus doesn't expect that from his followers. No. He expects that when we, his followers, are lit up people will see our good works and why is this it doesn't lead to our salvation no not at all we're saved by grace through faith full stop but what if these good works are the way that god plans to lead someone else to a relationship with him our selflessness our evangelism our preaching our living godly lives and doing these good works they might be the catalyst for someone else's faith And here we see again, we're not called to be salt and light for our own sake, not for our own benefit, but for others. But it gets even better. What does Jesus say the result of people seeing our good works is? He says that these people give glory to God. We're being salt and light, not for ourselves, not only for the world but so that God would be glorified. What more motivation do we need? But now we come to part two. What happens when we compromise? And there's a pretty clear warning in this passage. Don't compromise, because it can be very easy to do. Jesus warns us twice in this passage that we can fail to live at our purpose as salt and light. And when it feels like the whole world is against us, pushing in on us, wanting us to compromise, that seems like the easier option, doesn't it? The world says that religion and faith are fine, just keep it in private, not out in public, please. No, no, you don't need to put out your light. Of course not, but just be so kind as to hide it under a basket when you're out in the world with us. No, no, please, be salt. Just stay in your salt shaker, please and thank you. And this can be very tempting. It's all too easy to think, I'll just live and let live. But that's not what Jesus calls us to. No, he says here plainly, compromising is bad. Failing to fulfill our purpose as citizens of the kingdom of heaven is bad. Don't do it. Jesus says that if we lose sight of our purpose, if we lose our saltiness, we're useless. We're good for nothing. We're worthless. Throw us outside and get rid of us. Let passers-by trample over us. And anyone who has ever been called useless or good for nothing, you know how much these words hurt? Coming from Jesus? From God? They sound even worse. Why would he say something like this? Could it possibly be That the consequences of us losing our saltiness, hiding our light, compromising our purpose, could these consequences be so bad that Jesus wants to emphasize to us how important it is that we don't compromise? And what are the consequences? The consequences of our compromise is that decay and darkness reign in our world, the world becomes like meat that hasn't been preserved. It goes off. It becomes rotten and putrid. All oh, goodness leaves it, and it becomes ruined, bad, good for nothing. The world loses out. And if we're not lighting up the dark places, well, they're going to stay dark. People are going to spend their whole lives walking around in darkness, hopelessness, in a world that's decaying before their eyes. Not even knowing that there's a better way out there. Never having a chance to experience the hope and light that the gospel brings. Never having a chance of coming into relationship with their father. Again, it's the world which loses out. So just like before, where we said that our being salt and light in the world doesn't have an immediate direct benefit for us, Neither does our not being salt, neither does our not being salt and light in the world have an immediate, direct, adverse effect on us. We can stay in our little Christian bubbles. We can stay in our salt shaker and we can still feel like we're being salt and light. We don't lose out here. We're being, we are surrounded by salt, we're surrounded by light but there's no salt or light out there in the world. So we need to leave our bubbles and go out there. Now, I'm not saying, definitely not saying that you shouldn't spend time with other Christians or you shouldn't come to church. Don't don't mishear me there. But we should. We should definitely spend time growing together, spurring one another on, teaching and learning from one another. But if this is all we do, and we withdraw from the darkness of the world. We're no longer fulfilling our purpose as salt and light. We're compromising. We're covering our lamps, and we're losing our saltiness. My lamp has little impact in a room already full of lit lamps. But out there, in a room which is completely dark, it has a huge impact. So just to bring this point home, I've got a little illustration. So I've got my trusty lamp and my trusty basket here. And if I turn my lamp on, oh, that's bright. um, Shine that bright, please. If, If I turn my lamp on, you can notice it, right? You can see it. But is it fulfilling its purpose of throwing back the darkness? Yeah, a little bit, but not much, right? Because it's surrounded by all these other really bright, Lights, It it can't fulfill its purpose, because there's no darkness here to be driven out. Now, if we go out into the world, where there are no bigger, brighter lights, into the darkness, have a look what happens. So, Claire, if we could cut the lights. Look how brightly this little lamp shines when it's in the darkness. It's impossible to miss now, you, you can't not see this. It's pushing back the darkness, it's illuminating the area around us. It's doing much more good than before when it was surrounded by other lights. But what happens when the world comes and pressures us into compromising? It loses its purpose, it can't fulfill what it was meant to do. We're hiding our lights. It's dark. Sure, you can still see a little bit coming through, and it's still doing all right under there. It's still really light under there, but it's the world, it's the people out here. We lose out. We lose out, not us, which is the little lamp. But finally, if I hold my lamp up up here, and if anyone in the audience who's got a little torch on your phone, if you can get that out and turn it on, just try not to blind anyone. Maybe point it, yeah, point it downwards. Can you see now? Look how much more area is illuminated. <laughs> yeah, hey, thanks. Um, see how the darkness is dispersed. This is Jesus' view of all of us living out our purpose as salt and light. It's not just me up here We're not all congregated together, we're out, we're unified, but we're separate in the midst of the darkness. This is what it looks like for our whole community to be on mission and fulfilling our purpose together. I hope that was a helpful illustration. Um, We don't want to hide ourselves either under baskets or in our little salt shakers. We want to let our lights shine, all of us. And the best way, the most effective way to do this is as a united community of light bearers, out there in the darkness of the world. And I know how you're all feeling. Yes, this sounds amazing. I want to be the salt of the earth. I want to be the light of the world. I want to fulfill my purpose. I just don't know how. How should we respond? Firstly, we need to look at ourselves, both individually and in community. We need to ask ourselves where we're not doing our job, not fulfilling our purpose as salt and light. Where do we not look any different from the rest of the world? Where are we not distinct? Where do our priorities align better with those priorities of the kingdom of now than with the priorities of a citizen of a kingdom of the kingdom of God. Maybe we're making an idol out of money, career, a relationship, a certain look, a celebrity, power, sports, grades. It can be anything. But if so, we need to repent. We need to come back to Jesus. We need to realign ourselves with the kingdom priorities of vulnerability, of spiritual hunger, and of selflessness. A good way to work on your vulnerability is to chat through this with someone. Tell them where you're feeling like you're compromising your purpose. Ask them where they see you compromising your purpose. Be honest, be loving, and I'm certain you won't regret it. But what about some practical ways of being salt and light? To be salt, we want to slow the spread of injustice and corruption in our world. We want to make a stand where we see injustice being committed around us. Right now, there's a bill before the SA Parliament that proposes a relaxation of the abortion laws here in South Australia, allowing abortion up to birth among many other things. As Christians, we believe that the taking of innocent lives is wrong. So maybe for us, being salt means taking a stand, writing to your local politician and telling them your opinions on this. Maybe it means joining in on the March for Life early next year. Maybe it means supporting organizations which are already taking a stand. Maybe it means researching this, Becoming aware and help showing other people what's going on. And this is only one example, I'm sure, I'm certain. There are hundreds of other areas in our society that we can see decaying before our very eyes. It's our job as Christians, as the salt of the earth, to step out and to slow that decay. So pick an issue that you're passionate about and fight to keep the goodness. What about being light? We've already had one great possibility talked about tonight. Join Green Team. Come with us and come and shine your light in these places where it can get pretty dark. Let these people see your good works that you're doing there and question why. Show them God's love. And who knows how God might be glorified? because of it if you're at uni check out something like ES and help them with their goal of being light on a dark campus if you're at work make it known that you're a Christian and then let them see Christ's light shine through you as you're different as you're distinct as you're an asset but not for your own benefit for their benefit And for God's glory. The important thing to remember here is that we're doing all of this in God's strength and God's power. It's He who makes our lights shine. It's He who makes us salt. Without Him, none of this would be possible. He calls us to this purpose. He equips us for it. And then He gives us opportunities. We just need to be faithful and step out and take them. So let's go out this week. Let's be salt. Let's be light. But let's remember, just as we did before when we took the Lord's Supper, that we can only be salt and light in this world because God first called us out of the kingdom of darkness into his marvelous light through the sacrifice of his Son. It's only through him who preached this Sermon on the Mount, that we are able to fulfill the purpose that he called us to. He came to light the world. Only by being lit by him can we follow in his footsteps and live a life of uncompromising purpose. So would you all pray with me as the musos come back up? Heavenly Father, I pray that as we go out from tonight, We can be convicted. Uh, We can be reminded that you call us, your followers, salt and light. We pray that you would give us opportunities to display these qualities and a conviction that we're we're not going to compromise. Would you help us to stand firm in our beliefs, stand firm in our purpose as salt and light, so that we may be distinct, but not for our benefit, for the benefit of the world and for your glory. Would you remind us that it is only through your power that we are able to do this. We pray that you are, you are with us as we, as we do it. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.